You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. And for many of you, this passage is probably going to be familiar, but I want to kind of point out some things to you. It was familiar to me as well when I went into it, but I think I was really challenged by, uh, by this passage this week. So uh, John, cha- sorry, not 1, chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus at a wedding says this. Let me read it through. If you need a Bible, by the way, we've got Bibles at the back. Hey, Sherelle, good to see you. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw a familiar face. Uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana at Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So Mary is there. Interestingly, John never uses, never says the name Mary in his entire book. He always calls Mary the mother of Jesus. I don't know why completely that's what he does jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples i'll explain all this in a second when the wine ran out the mother of jesus said to him they have no wine jesus said to her woman that's a weird response (laughs) when it's a little bit jarring i don't know how my mom would respond to say woman uh, uh, and, and he goes on, what does this have to do with me? You know, like, I can't imagine myself saying to my mom, Aaron, they've, they don't have any wine. Woman, what, what has this got to do with me? You know, like, it just sounds weird. I'll try and explain in a second. Again, I don't exactly know what's going on, but I'm going to try and explain. I think I have some idea. What does this have to do with me? Or is basically, why are, you, why are you involving me in this? And he says, my hour has not yet come, which is really profound. That one I do think I know what's going on. His mother said to the servants, this is really interesting. After that response that Jesus gives, Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. These are huge jars. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. It's a lot of water. I, I crunched the numbers. It's about two or three bathtubs full of water, depending on how big your bathtub is, I guess. And he said to them, do people have bathtubs anymore? Most people have showers now. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. I've been a master of ceremonies sometimes. I, I am going to require next time I'm asked to do a wedding that I be called the master of the feast. It sounds so much better. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, so he had no idea what the miracle was, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory 
and his disciples believed in him. What an interesting passage. It's a few things. I, I got some questions still about this passage. I had a lot of questions when I read through. We are going through a series called Jesus of Nazareth, where we are discovering who Jesus really is. Not a manifestation of Aaron's imagination or Aaron's desires, but a manifestation of the glory of God. That's who Jesus is. We are going to be in learning about the single most fascinating person who has ever existed. I don't think you have to be a Christian. Like, I don't think that's a hot take, you know, a, a controversial take to say that Jesus is the most fascinating person who has ever been, who has ever existed. I don't, you don't need to be a Christian to, to believe that. No other name throughout history has been pondered more than the name of Jesus and questioned more than the name of Jesus. The Gospel of John, John really writes this book so that you would know him, just like John came to know him. In John 20, at the end of his book, John says this in 20 verse 30, Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written, so he did a whole bunch of things, but these are written, so I've recorded these things for you, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus' miracles, they attract an audience, they spark much debate, such as they still do today. John calls them an interesting word, though. He doesn't call them just miracles or events or cool tricks. He calls them what? He calls them signs, which is a good word. They point to something more than just the event or just the miracle. They point to something more. And I believe that the signs point to something where heaven and earth, as we looked at last week, where heaven and earth intersect. It's where you see heaven happening here on earth. Something different than Mitch Mowbray, no offense Mitch, could conjure himself. Something more than what Aaron Ottaway can do on this earth. It's where heaven and earth intersect. One commentator once said this, signs are not a violation of the natural order. That's been talked about when Jesus did miracles. Like he, it's like the natural order was thrown off. Actually, that's not what Jesus' miracles were. They're not a violation of the natural order. They're a restoration of the natural order. This is the way that things ought to be. So when Jesus restores the blind, that's not doing something that isn't supposed to happen Someone is supposed to see. The blind is not supposed to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when Jesus does miracles, he's actually restoring the created order the way that God had intended things to be. When he raises someone from the dead, they're not supposed to be in God's, in God's good creation to be dead. They're supposed to be alive. And so Jesus restores the natural order the way that God had always intended things to be. You understand what I'm saying here? That's the signs that, G, that, that we're being pointed to. Heaven and earth intersecting together. God and his creation in harmony, the way the world is supposed to be. That's the signs of Jesus. And it says in our passage, in verse 11, it says this was the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana and manifested his glory. Now, I can't go into too detail with 
too much detail with this. I talk about this a lot, or at least if you've been with me, I talk about this a lot. We try to attain glory without God. Like we try to transcend human experience without God, but glory is uniquely divine. The chiefs almost got there yesterday, as close as you can get. I saw like three eyes rolling as I said that. I won't take offense to, I won't take offense to this. But even, you know, in athletics, whatever it is, we try to attain some sort of glory in this life, but you can't. Glory is uniquely divine. As we saw last week, heaven only meets earth on the Son of God. That's how heaven meets earth. Verse 11, this the first of his signs. But this is what I wrestled with this week. Why this? It seems weird. I mean, you go through John and consider the other signs that Jesus does. He feeds 5,000 people. He raises someone from the dead. He restores sight to the blind. He, 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 he helps someone walk who, who has never been able to walk in their entire life. Amazing things. And his first one is saving a young couple from social embarrassment. <laughs> Seriously, like that's what it is. No one's life is being saved here. No one's sight is being restored. The wine ran out. Oh no, like it seems like not that big of a deal. Oh no, the wine is gone. I mean, I'm from a Baptist circle. We didn't even have wine at our wedding. So it's like for me, like, this doesn't even ring. Like, okay, the wine's gone. You know what I mean? Like that's what I was, like why this one for the first sign? Saving a young couple from social embarrassment. I mean, you could like just bring out the Verner's ginger ale for crying out loud. You know what I mean? Like, is it that big of a deal? It is good stuff. Like, this would be time for the Verner's ginger ale. Because you think the first one is probably pretty crucial, right? Like that's the first sign. Like, the, the first one sets the direction for the rest of them. I, like I said, I've emceed several weddings. Um, I enjoy emceeing. I'm not putting myself out there for future weddings for you. Um, the first joke's got to hit. You know, you can tell a lot of jokes. The first one's got to hit. You, you can miss on like the fourth joke and no one gets it and that's fine. It's just awkward silence. But the first one you got to hit. The first one's pretty crucial. So why this? I do really believe God has something to say to us here today, especially this being the first one, even though this one above all of the other ones, seems so inconsequential. And I think it's profound that the first one takes place uh, not in the streets, uh, not in a church, not in a tabernacle, but at a celebration, a wedding celebration. And it's not hard for us to put ourselves in the scene of a wedding celebration. You've been to a wedding reception. You, you know, there, there's, there's some differences between first century weddings uh, different than the wedding that I attended with Nikki where there was no music at all. First century weddings were a 
huge, like they, there was feasting and music and dancing and wine and, and more feasting that lasted for several days. So imagine that for you guys who, are planned, who have planned your weddings, you planned like a three or four hour reception. Imagine planning, uh, Mitch and Kate just got married last year when it was a great wedding to be at, but can you imagine, you, you got it, three days of wedding receptions. That's what you're planning for. That's a lot of planning. What they would do is hire a master of the feast, almost like a, a, a wedding planner to make sure everything is going according to plan. It was a big deal. And that probably, you think weddings are a big deal now. They were a bigger deal then. It wasn't just like two people falling in love, so we're going to get married. Back then, it wasn't, it was two, like one entire family marrying another entire family. That's why it was like a huge celebration, two families coming together. And if you were rich enough, you would invite the entire town. So all of Cambridge is invited to my wedding. <laughs> you have a lot, you'd have to plan a lot. It would take a lot of planning. And maybe that's why Jesus and his disciples are all here. Here's the problem with all of this in the background. The wine runs out. Oh no, the wine is gone. So okay, so here's the big deal. Uh, you, you might ask, what's the big deal? Here's, here's the deal. Culturally, it's more than we may understand. We, we don't live in an honor-shame culture. So for me, I don't feel the same thing, okay? I mean, we've had family reunions before that I have planned. Thankfully, Alicia plans them now. But yesteryear, I used to plan some of them, and I have, have very little planning going on in the background. Nikki would be like, do we have food for everyone? I'd be like, I don't know. How many people got coming over to our house? Maybe like 45, 50, like we didn't have enough food. I don't know, it'll work out. It'll be fine, you know? That's how, that's how mine, my mind works. Uh, back, back then, though, there was a big honor, shame. like if you didn't have everything planned out, it would bring shame, again, not just on the couple, but on the family who was planning the wedding. Uh, it would bring shame upon them that you could not provide for everyone there or things weren't the way they should have been. Some of you understand this feeling more than I do, granted. But with the wine being gone, Essentially what is going on here, so is the party. The party's over too. Celebration's over if the wine's gone. Now we don't know who's getting married or why Jesus is there, why Jesus was given a plus 12 invitation, right? He's given a plus 12 invitation. They're all there. Uh, they may have been close to the family. Mary, part of the catering crew, I have no idea because she seems to know that the, you know, she's very concerned that the wedding is gone. She comes to Jesus with the problem. Yeah, they have no more wine. We don't know exactly what Mary expected Jesus to do about that problem. Like everyone, let's, we're going to run out to the store and grab a whole bunch of bottles of wine and bring them. I don't know what Mary expected Jesus to do. Jesus has a really enigmatic statement. It's still a little bit enigmatic to me. He calls her woman which for us sounds very disrespectful. Um, it's not as disrespectful as you would think. It's also not very endearing. Like there are words he could have said, mom, mother, he doesn't. 
Uh, the most accurate translation of this word is, none of us are from like Georgia, so this doesn't translate well, but everyone calls each other ma'am there. That's probably the most accurate translation of the word. I like when I go down south because then I, then I can you know, roll out the ma'am card. I enjoy saying it. Uh, and with a little southern drawl you know, in the background, you gotta, you gotta really own it. Um, and uh, so he calls her ma'am, which is really interesting. Um, this is consistent throughout John, though. This isn't the first time that Jesus is going to seem a little bit cold to Mary. I think what's going on in the background, Mary had this unique thing. Like, she had to let go of her son. Like, yes, Jesus was the son of Mary, but more so, who was Jesus the son of? God. So Jesus actually talked more about his, his parents as, like, my father is, is, is God. And my brothers are my disciples. And it's weird for us, but G- Mary has this unique thing where she had an angel visit and say, this is, this is the savior of the entire world. So it's hard for us to put ourselves in Mary's shoes, but she also needed to be saved by Jesus, her own son. He uniquely was the son of God and she could not have him as her own. Jesus says, what is this to do with me? How does this involve me? And, and I'm gonna get here in a second. I think what's going on is Jesus is thinking about something entirely different than just the problem that Mary is bringing to him, which I'm gonna get to in a second. But maybe even more interesting, Mary says to the servants after Jesus replies, Do whatever he tells you to do. This was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. But Mary had seen an angel promised that this is going to be the savior of the world. This is the son of God. And she believed that promise. The boy, like think about like the boy that I taught how to walk, how to read, how to go to school, taken over his dad's carpentry shop. Like, think of you, Mary's unique problem here. This is the boy that was going to change the world. Though she doesn't know what Jesus will do, she anticipates something glorious from him. She has big expectations for her son. She doesn't know exactly what Jesus is going to do, though she anticipates something glorious. So Jesus tells the servants, fill the water jars to the brim. Take it to the master of feasts, like I say, the MC, or I guess you could say in this passage, more like the, correct me if I get this wrong, the sommelier, right? Is that, is that the wine taster? The sommelier, he seems to be, he knows his wine, so he tastes it. Don't sommelier, they roll it around in their mouth, you know? That's maybe what he's rolling it around in his mouth. And then, I don't know, if, you, if you've ever been to a fine restaurant, Nikki and I will take like the wine list and just look for the most, just to be like, wow, I don't, this must taste like pure gold because it's like $1,000 a bottle. I, I can't taste, I'm not a sommelier, so I don't really know the difference. Uh, some of you might be like, I, I drink out of the carton. Like that's my, that's my, that's my good, that's the good stuff for me. But this guy rolls it around in his mouth. He's like, whoa, now this, this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff. And he says, this is weird. Because no one does this. 
I mean, we've entered, we've, we're well into the party now, and now you've, you've been hiding this in the closet the whole time? This is the finest stuff that we've had the entire day. We usually serve the good stuff first, then honestly, if you're going to go by the translation, once the palate has been dulled a little bit because of the, the, the wine that has been drinking, then we give the stuff that's not so good. Or I guess in more specifically, the watered-down stuff so that it lasts. The watered-down wine, the bad stuff. Now, the servants, it specifically says, the MC didn't know what was going on, but the servants did. They likely freaked out. We thought, you were, we, thought we, you were, we just drew water. You're saying it's the good stuff? You know, there's, there's a miracle here, at just the, like at a chemical level, that there's instant fermentation into delicious wine from water. It's, it's completely impossible. It's not just like, you know, putting a few squirts of Kool-Aid in the jar and then it tastes kind of sugary. Like, this was a fermentation process that happens over a long period of time into fine wine. Like, it's an instantaneous miracle at the chemical level. They would have freaked out. And it is a miracle. And I don't want to take away from that, but I think there's a lot more going on here than just Jesus turning water into wine. I think there's a lot more going on here. Throughout scripture, wine was a symbol of joy. If you, read, if you read throughout scripture, wine was a symbol of joy and God's good grace toward us. There's passages like Joel 3.18, Amos chapter 9 that talk about uh, when God will make everything right again. It says, one of the descriptions, it says the mountains will drip with sweet wine. I don't know, what does that even mean? But that's the description. The mountains will drip with sweet wine. Garden, you will eat from fresh gardens and you'll grow vineyards and have the finest wine. That was a picture of joy and the good gifts and graces God gives to us. More than water for survival, a need that you have, God doesn't just provide a need. Wine represented abundance, the fullness of life. More than just, you know, getting by, it, it represented the fullness of, of an abundant, happy, joyful life. This is what God promises. That's the picture that God gives. I think what's going on here more than just meets the eye. We often try to attain that joy, that fullness of life on our own. And the picture of the passage is, it's like we try to water down wine to make it taste good. Ecclesiastes 2 talks about this in 25. We try to have God's good gifts, but apart from him, Ecclesiastes 2 says, who can enjoy, who can, who can have all these things apart from God? But we try to do that all the time. We try to attain joy, pleasure, but apart from God. But it's an attempt that's doomed to fail. It's the party that's doomed to be over. The world's attempt, though, is to serve watered-down wine. We do that in our sexuality. We do that in family. Whatever it is, we, we try to attain joy, but it's not the good stuff. It's watered-down wine. And I think what's going on here is Jesus saying, I serve the best wine. My wine is better 
than anything that you could, could muster yourself. And the sign points to this rich life, this rich fullness that Jesus himself offers. Go to a passage that I think is really amazing. Isaiah chapter 25. I usually don't ask you to go to another passage, but I want you to go to this passage. This is the picture of what's called the Messianic age. It's the age of when Jesus has come and what he is going to bring to you and this world. Isaiah 25 Verse six to nine, listen to this picture. This is, the, this is the life that is promised to us in Jesus. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. I mean, this is a good feast. This ain't just like throw some, slap some burgers and french fries on the table. Like we're talking, we're talking a fine meal here and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, amen? And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. We've been anticipating this feast. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. See, I mean, if our view of Christianity is like keep your nose clean and don't have too much fun, like that's not, that's not the most, like what are, we anticip- what are we looking forward to in our life? Like just clean up your life a little bit and keep your head down. Like that's not the picture the Bible gives of life in God. The, the, the Bible gives a picture of a rich feast full of good things for, that we get to enjoy in Jesus. And yes, There is suffering that comes along with this life, but the joy that we are offered for all eternity is better than anything the world can offer. Jesus says, I give the best wine. I give the jailor, the cab so of (laughs) jailor. Not the stuff out of the carton. The perfect life of God, perfect life with God for eternity is of a banquet. A wedding banquet, that's what the end of Revelation talks about. You know, when we have these joyous occasions, we, we celebrate them. I remember my own wedding uh, in 2010, and we were in the church. Nikki comes down, and I wept like a child, you know. Uh, any other guys weep like a child when you were, I was, I was, it was, it was ugly. It was an ugly cry. It was an ugly cry. Uh, our wedding pictures, you look at, well, I mean, this is true, not just of pictures, but you look at them and you're like, Nikki looks radiant and I look, I'm ugly crying at the front. It's, a, it's like, who, why is she, th- why is this person marrying this? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it still doesn't really make sense. Um, but, uh, I remember that Nikki coming down the aisle and there was such a joyous celebration. I mean, that's, that's the picture of life in God. It's not just, you know, uh, 
following this overlord and being afraid to mess up. Like the picture of life in God is that he is our groom. He is waiting for us to come down the aisle to be united with him forever. Like that's the picture of life with God. There's an interesting passage next in in chapter three that I'm not gonna look at today where there's some followers who are leaving John the Baptist and going to follow Jesus. And some, some people are like, aren't you, like, aren't you offended, John? Like, like they're, they're leaving you. And John says to them, uh, the bride is for the groom. Jesus is the groom. Yeah, they're supposed to follow Jesus because the bride is for the groom. That's the picture of life with God. It's of a wedding celebration. And that's not all that's going on in this passage. I mean, there's, there's so much symbolism going on in this passage, but even the stone jars, you know, they were the Jewish rites of purification. That was, that's what they represented. When you would come into this celebration, you would have to wash yourself and the, the cups, utensils, all of those things. And it's profound that Jesus changes those things to wine. Rather than you have to clean yourself up in order to get into the celebration, I have provided the work for you and you just get to enjoy what I have done for you. You understand this? John 1 verse 16, at the beginning of this book, says from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. His wine is better. Jesus transforms a failing celebration that doesn't have enough into a celebration where there is more than enough good things in it. In fact, Jesus says, fill those things to the brim. Do you know how many bottles of wine you could get out of those stone jars? I crunched the numbers, of course. (laughs) You get 800 bottles of wine. 800! That's abundance. That's a lot of wine. See what Jesus is saying though? A party that was doomed to fail now is there's, there's so many good things that Jesus has, has given. Completely unnecessary. Like 800 bucks, it's completely unnecessary. But Jesus does unnecessary. That's the joy that Jesus promises us that we experience. Not just get, getting by, not just what we need, but more. An abundant, overflowing life. One of my favorite verses in John, Jesus says later in John 10 verse 10. I have come, not that you would just get, I have come that you would get by. Is that what it says? No. (laughs) I would come that you would live. Is that what it says? No. He does say, I would come that you would have life, and then what does he say? And have it abundantly. To the full. That you would get everything out of life that I have wanted you to have. An abundant, overflowing life. How many of us, as this is what I was challenged with this week, how many of us, when things don't go according to plan, you run out of wine, and you're like, well, that's it. Time to wrap it up. I guess that's over. The wine's gone. Party's failing. And we dwell on what we don't have 
rather than go to the giver of abundance. In our tradition, to be honest, I know I've experienced this, we can almost become Christian cynics. We're looking for what's wrong, what God can't do, rather than what God wants to do in us. We can almost become a Christian cynic to question whether anything we do is worthwhile. But Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. And she didn't know exactly what Jesus would do, but she anticipated glory, anticipated abundance. Jesus is going to do something. She goes to him with her problem. I think for me, sometimes I think, this is too hard. It's going to require too much effort. Or it's too shameful. And I'm afraid to even go and so, to, to Jesus with this problem. Some of you are stuck in sin right now and you're so ashamed you can't see any abundance in your life at all because of the sin that is in your life. And you're so weighed down by the shame of failing that you can't even dream that God would offer you abundant life. You can't anticipate God's glory because you're so inundated with the obstacle in front of you, you couldn't dream of overcoming that. But that's what Jesus does. Let me tell you a story. A couple of months ago, uh, you allowed me not to be here on a Sunday. Um, I can't remember who spoke. It's either Colin, Ryan, I can't remember who. I wasn't here. I was up north speaking at a youth retreat. I will let you know, I did not want to do that. I had a terrible attitude about going to speak to teenagers. <laughs> I did. I drove up and like, why did I say yes to this? They're teenagers. This is uh, a lot of work on my part to speak four times over a weekend. And I've done that before, but I realized having to do it again, I'm like, man, this is a ton of work. Um, it's over and above what I have to do. I don't get to see my family for the weekend. I went up there being like, why did I say yes to this? I was not anticipating God to do anything. I'm just going to get this done, drive home, and move on. How many of us approach church the same way? I'll, I'll be honest, some Sundays I do. How many of you approach your job the same way, your family the same way? You do not anticipate God to do anything. Seriously. Take an inventory of your own soul. Are you believing God is going to do anything glorious in your life? Any, provide any sort of abundance in your life? Because that weekend I didn't, I, I wasn't there at all. Mentally, I had my sermons down, my messages. 
with a few jokes because they're teenagers, so maybe they'll appreciate those. I tried to be funny and put on my youth pastor hat. I went up there and was completely humbled. God worked, showed up when my heart didn't show up. I was, in fact, I was in tears before the first session because I could feel the presence of God and I was like, and I didn't want to do this. Yet God still made me do it. I couldn't get out of it because I actually tried to get another speaker and I couldn't get out of it. Saturday night, I presented the gospel through, and what we've talked about a lot, through the concept of the image of God, being restored to the image of God, restored to how you were, what you were always meant to be. Afterwards, there's this girl that came up, this teenage girl came up to me, and she admitted some things, self-harm, suicide, things like that. Uh, I just prayed with her, and I talked to her youth pastor, and said, this is what's been told to me, and she, she wants to follow Jesus. She doesn't know exactly what that looks like yet, but I'm praying for you as you disciple her. It was amazing. Like, God did amazing things. I got a message this week from that youth pastor. Uh, and this doesn't always happen, by the way. Sometimes you hear nothing. I got a message from that youth pastor thanking me for being there, not necessarily just because of the, how good the messages were. He said, this girl has talked to her parents, she's talked to the pastor, she's getting help, and it's been a miraculous change in the last couple of months. From someone who's saying, I've attempted suicide, to someone being like, I want to live for Jesus. I didn't even want to do it. Hear what I'm saying? Church, are we expecting God to do something glorious? Uh, Nikki and I, um, we're, we're going through, uh, I don't know if I, you guys do this or not, but uh, I've, I never do this, but we were doing this for the end of the year, kind of looking ahead to 2024. And, um, I put the word anticipation. I'll be honest. Uh, in 2023, I felt really frustrated about a lot of things. And I think it's because uh, some things didn't happen that I wanted to happen. The wine's gone. And too often than not, I was just like, hmm, wine's gone. I don't think I anticipated God to do anything. I want 2024 for my life and for, the, for Restoration Church that we would look to God. God, the wine's gone. You're going to do something. I don't know what it is. You're going to provide abundance through us. Do you believe that, church? God is going to do something abundant in our church because that's what he does. He gives the best wine. Jesus was also anticipating something glorious. Did you notice that in the passage? I don't think it's completely obvious when you're looking at it, but he says in verse four as a response to Mary, when Mary says the wine's gone, Jesus says to woman, what, have you, what does this have to do with me? And he says this, my hour has not yet come. Jesus says that a few times and it always refers to the same thing, his death on the cross. 
My hour, when he says my hour, that's what's coming. The most glorious thing that I'm going to do that only God can do himself is make a way for sinners to be united to God and it's gonna be through me. I'm gonna die in your place. I think that's what Jesus is. I think when we're like, what does Jesus mean by all this? I almost think Jesus' headspace is in a different place when Mary asks him this. He's looking at this wedding. He, she says, the, the wine is gone. We need you to provide wine. And Jesus is almost like, I will provide wine. Not necessarily the wine that you think I'm gonna provide, but it's gonna be my own blood in abundance for your life. The wine of his blood, this is my blood that's poured out for you so that we could have abundant life. I think I'm ready for God to work in my life. I think I've been cruising. I'll be honest with you. I think I've been cruising, trying to establish a church. Uh, I think I'm ready for God to do something abundant, something glorious in my life. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna close in a song. Um, man, maybe you've been thinking the same thing. You, you consider your marriage, you just kind of been cruising, doing the Christian thing. Uh, you're not expecting God to do anything miraculous though. Maybe right now you're like, I'm ready. I think our church is ready for God to do, for us to anticipate God to do something abundant in us. Let's pray. Uh, We never do this as a church. We're almost scared to do this, but I'm going to do it today. Um, I'm going to invite you uh, with your eyes closed. If you feel the same way as me, I'm ready, Aaron. Like I've just been cruising. to go to Jesus and say, God, we're out of wine. I don't know what you're gonna do, but you're gonna do something. Maybe you've been holding back because of shame. Maybe you've been holding back because you're tired, it's hard. Are you ready to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready for you to do something big in my life, to provide the best wine if you're ready for that like everyone's eyes are closed just like slip up your hand so I can pray for you if you're ready for that you've just been kind of cruising you're ready for abundance to sip of the wine that you haven't sipped in a while yeah bunch of hands Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, I'm going to ask, uh, as I pray, um, we're going to sing. I'm just going to get on my knees before as Kale leads us in a song. I would ask you, if you raise your hand or not, to come and join me and just pray, asking God. We're going to sing a new song, so you might not know it very well. Uh, and just come to the front and pray with me, um, pouring your heart out to God. God, I'm ready for something more than what I've been expecting you to do. I want to expect glory in my life. I want to taste your wine, not some watered-down stuff that I've been chasing. I want to chase. I want to taste your wine, the best wine.
God, thank you for this passage. Uh, it's more than just a, an interesting thing that you have done. It's everything for us. Um, may this pierce my heart. Uh, you would do something glorious as you've done in that teenage girl as only you can do as you've done in many in our church we want to see water into wine we don't want to just cruise God thank you we pray for this in your name